Hues of Humanity. A time where we can talk one-on-one. And learn from someone else's rich and varied experiences. Come on, dolls. Our differences are beautiful. Welcome to The Gaily Dose. This is Homo Lucero de Mogolski. And hi, I'm Diane Crow. And this episode is brought to us by AHF. They take care of all of your gay healthcare needs, regardless of your ability to pay. So check them out at ahf.org. That's right, Diane. We're so lucky to have them as a sponsor. And if any of you are interested in being a sponsor as well, give us a little bit of an email at marketing at I'm so excited for today's episode because we are going to bring you a dose of the two of us, two queer parents. We're going to learn a little bit more about both of us, our backgrounds that might have an interest to you. And we're also going to talk about what it's like to do this, um, this show and why we may be driven to do it because we are both parents. Mm. And we're also going to get a little bit of your uh, uh, transnotions. Transnotions, right? that right. I've got some really awesome stories for you and news for you in the transnotions episode today. So stay tuned for that. A dose of Daddy Helmut. Hi, dolls. So tonight, it's pretty exciting for me, actually. And the reason it's exciting for me is I've known Helmut now for maybe a year, I guess, something like that, but I really don't think I know him. And he and I have something very interesting in common. We're both parents and we're both in the trans and gay world in in this spectrum of people. But to have children in that way is kind of different, I think. So Helmut, I... I've got to tell you, honey, I just love you. I always have. Aw, I, I do. Seriously. I love you too. Thank you so much. <laughs> but I don't really know very much about you at all. So here you are, a beautiful gay man standing here in front of me. Thank you. you. And, um, but how did you get here? What brought you here? How, you know, tell us when were you born ish? You don't have to tell me exactly. I'll tell you exactly. I'm okay with my age. Um, I am, I'm a 76er, a bicentennial baby. Um, and I was born in El Paso, Texas. Yeah. Uh, my dad's German. My mom is Latina, um, with some Native American. She was born and raised in Texas. Wow. And, um, cheers. Oh, thank you. These are amazing glasses. Aren't they? Oh, where did you get these? <laughs> thank Go, you. Wait, table that last thing. I want to know about these. So I got these glasses when I was leaving Germany we took our last trip to Venice. Um, I lived there overseas when I was a young dad. I just had my eldest daughter, mm-hmm. Esther, and I bought these in Venice. Aww. And whenever I pull them out, I think of my eldest daughter. So. Oh, that's incredibly <laughs> sweet. You're a good dad. No, thank you. It's a sweet memory. Ooh. Mm-hmm. And that is a sweet wine, too. I like this a lot. Yeah, it's a nice little red, right? Ooh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's I grew up there, and I was um, oldest of three boys. Yeah. And very conservative Christian. But I would say my home was very sweet. So, like, there was religion, but I would definitely describe my family as, like, lambs, if that makes sense. Like, they really sincerely believed in the words and the teachings. And, um, and that's kind of the construct I was raised in, I say, you know? <laughs> so we've asked our other guests this in the past. When did you start to have a sense that, you were slightly different than the other kids. You know, it's an interesting question. When I was, um, when I was a young man, 
No, young man, I was five. <laughs> I remember, <laughs> I remember toying with gender, and I remember getting on the playground. And one time in the playground, I thought, well, maybe I have long hair, and I pretended that maybe I was a girl because I was trying to figure out who I was. I knew something was different, right. and and I I liked the boys more. And I remember my I had a friend Demetrius in sixth grade that I talked to, and I was just in the sixth grade, six years old first grade and I was like he would just talk and I was like oh I like him wow I really like him but I didn't identify that as gay it wasn't until later I was teased so much growing up and I heard the little kids say it to my my family talk about it in Spanish and they said something about un joto or something un I don't know anyway and I was like what's that word so I went to the kids in the playground and I had them exchange the name it was gay so I went to my family and I was like, what is gay? And it was not good. Ooh. And I knew gay was not good, mm-hmm. but I knew that's what everyone called me. So very early age, I identified, I'm probably this way, mm-hmm. but it's not good. And, um, and I was pretty much teased most of my life growing up about being gay. Mm. But I really developed this sense that like, well, how do you know? <laughs> how do you know I'm gay? I could be anything I want to be. And I really did manifest a lot of my childhood of, you know, I can be a good Christian boy and be straight. And God would never create someone like this. And I'm pretty much quintessential textbook manifested myself straight, right? Mm. I really tried to um, like girls and try to look at, you know, porn when I was a young man, to try to like women and I eventually met a wonderful human that, um, you know, understood some of that journey. Um, but I thought I could never act on it. Right. And I thought that that would be possible. And I did a long time. Um, but that was kind of like how that part worked. So you met a wonderful human. Is that your wife that you had children? My with? ex-wife. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Really just a great, great person. Um, but, you know, before that, we, we left El Paso, we moved to Texas, and I studied biomedical engineering, which I think, didn't you as Electrical well? engineer. Electrical, yeah. yeah. Sure. So I was a total nerd. I loved being a nerd. Um, but I really wanted to do musical theater when I was little. Oh, honey, there might be some little clue there that you might be gay. <laughs> right? I'm just saying. It's there's, possible. There's this great organization in Houston called Theater Under the Stars where they would would train young young men and women to, to be in the theater. And my mom would take me to all the performances. I loved it. I loved musicals and I loved the theater. And um, I was like, I, I want to join this group. And I looked around and there were all these gay men involved. And I could tell. I mean, I could, I could always, my gaydar as a young man was extremely strong. Yeah. And I was like, oh, if I do this, I'll be gay. Mm. Not knowing, yeah, no, you're just gay, girl. But um, but I didn't pursue it because I thought, well, I'll be really tempted to go that direction in life. And, like it's a choice. Yeah, and I really had that thought that, like, hey, I needed to like filter these things out, yeah, and not choose them. But I went to A and M. I gave my passions to biomedical engineering. Uh, I really wanted to be a physician, and I actually uh, moved into healthcare. And I liked the tech aspect a lot, and I loved. The idea of helping lots of people through the development of software and the development of tools. Um, and right out of school, I went to, uh, I got a job that was based in Atlanta 
uh, with a healthcare company. It was General Electric. Oh. And I was a General Electric baby. So for 10 years, I went to General Electric's kind of school of life, right? And they uh-huh. took me to Europe for three years. Wow. I did um, not know you worked for GE. I worked for GE too. Did you really? I worked for GE Medical. Get out. I Wait, did. I did too. GE Healthcare. Oh my God. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but they, they, they took me to Germany and I, this is a cute story. I had to tell this one. This is good. So I am, I'm in Chicago. Right. And I'm at a marketing meeting and I'm flirting with the Germans, right? Like we're, we're dancing and I spreche total Deutsch. So I speak totally German, right? I totally speak German. And, um, and I enjoyed the engagement with them. Right. And this gentleman comes up to me and he goes, his name is Gerwald Steiger. He's like, Helmut, do you want to go to Germany? And I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> like, so they paid for me at age 23 to live in Europe. Wow. And I traveled all over Asia and Europe studying their markets. Yeah, it was crazy, right? Wow. Yeah. That's pretty huge. How it long is. did you stay with GE after that? Um, I was there in Europe for three years where we had my oldest daughter. And- right. Years and then um, yeah, I stayed there for seven years more with them. I, they moved me to Chicago. Wow! And um, that's where my other two children were born. And um, what's really really cool is I really wanted to get a marketing degree at a, a major institution, and I got my MBA at Kellogg Northwestern, which is a great school. That is a great school. Hard to get into. It was it. And but they paid for it. GE paid for GE it. GE paid for it. The whole thing. Wow. But I'm going to give you something. Another little unknown thing. When I was, um, we just had our second daughter. Um, my ex-wife had uh, breast cancer, so oh. we went through that whole period. And I look back, Diane, and I go, "How is it possible?" I'd wake up in the mornings at 8 a.m. You get on calls all day. I had an infant with me that would help, you know, take care of. You'd get in the car, you'd be on calls in the car, you'd go to MBA class at, you know, 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. You'd get out of that, you'd drive back in the freezing snow, cold of Chicago, hoping you didn't, your little cheap ass Ford didn't go off the road or right. something. And then you worked on school or the baby or work. Until about 3 a.m. or 4 a.m. And then you did it again. When did you sleep? Yeah. And for how long did you sleep? I mean, thank God I had children young. (laughs) But it's interesting because, you know, I think back on that. And I know when when I talk to you about your story, there's so much work involved with being a parent and the responsibilities as a a breadwinner. Um, And yet at the same time, you're fueled to do it out of the love of your family, out of love for your children, and some love for yourself, too. So when, when did you finally come to discover your essence of the true you? Yeah, so I would say a couple things about that. One is that I feel like a lot of our generation was not taught how to talk about sex. It was a very taboo topic. Wait, wait, wait. Did you say sex? <laughs> ah, 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 la, 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 la. Yeah, exactly. So we weren't, we weren't talk about, taught how to have these conversations in our friend groups, with our families, even with our spouse. And that's probably the greatest mistake I made in my marriage was not having those dialogues as right. you're going along for fear of all the things. Yeah. Um, and it was um, actually when she had breast cancer. And what you don't realize is when you're going through, and if you, you meet a couple that's gone through something, both people in the relationship go through that 
struggle together. Oh yeah. And um, I had this horrific realization that if she were to pass and I have to take care of my children, I might want to marry a man. Really? Yeah. It just came out and of the blue like it, that? It, it hit me like a freight train. Wow. And I was, I was ashamed and I felt bad and I felt like something, you know, that could never happen. Right. Could never be allowed. And um, I kind of stuffed that away in a bin. Right. And for three years got really big and was unhappy. Wait, um, you were really big? Yeah, I was much, much bigger. Yeah, okay. I was not... I was unhealthy. I was overweight. How much did you weigh back then? Back then, I weighed like two. I got. I think I got up to two thirty, and it was like not muscle mass, right? Oh. It was just carrying all that stress mass. And yes, yeah, stress mass. And mm. and you know, she certainly did not deserve that. I didn't deserve it. Those kids did not. Right. When I moved to Atlanta, and I've shared this before on the Gaily Dose, um, you know, I had a period of time where I was. Um, unfaithful a few months and discovering all this whole world and um, discussed it with her and then really really I wanted to make it go away I mm. wanted so badly to not have to be gay and not have to leave my ex-wife and 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 have my children be in a divorce situation right but it was actually her words where at one point she said, I think you need to go figure yourself out. And it was not easy. Those were some of the hardest days, actually, oh, when I think about I it. they were. But um, you know what? I just stuck to the, the idea I had was be authentic, Helmut. Just keep trying to be authentic. And, um, you know, it served me okay. I, um, I had a boyfriend for three and a half years, and that was... That was hard because he had to carry some of that, right? And kind right. of step into that. Sure. But I took the lessons I learned from my marriage and I was honest in the relationship and we had hard conversations and we came to a place where um, he could not be with me. And in a weird way, how life has, you know, I couldn't be with her. He couldn't be with me. I got that, you know, fair share back mm. um, of heartbreak and that was okay. Because um, now I look at it and I grew so much sure, from that experience. Sure. And so what happened in your life? What brought you to the point to say, I have to pursue this feeling that's deep inside of me. And regardless of where we are, I have to make this happen. So what happened? Well, I would say it was unnatural to me to step outside of a marriage. That was very, I felt a huge amount of guilt and shame because I had really hurt someone and made commitments and not kept them. Right. And that ultimately was what drove me to kind of confess where I was. And once that confession was out there, it just felt so much like I couldn't step back on it. Mm. And no matter how much I, and I will tell you something, at that time I met so many men in therapy sessions, group sessions, that were trying to go back to stay in their marriages. Oh. I was so young, by the way. I was like 33. Yeah. And all the other people that were, you know, dads coming out often waited till their kids were 18. Right. It was sort of a pretty, pretty usual thing. And the men um, constantly were messing up. Oh, I went back to my wife, but then I met Frank at the gym. And you know, and now, and they would come back in, and eventually they would get divorced. And then there was a frank conversation. <laughs> yes, uh, but um, boom. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> you know, and, and what I realized, you know, I'm a big believer. Let's observe. And I realized that I, as I let go of religion, I said, let's observe reality and make our judgments based upon humans just being humans. Mm. And when I could see these men were constantly hurting themselves and their wives, like, this is not wise. Right. It's better to let this go and then figure myself out. Sure. Well, let me step forward a little bit. Once you accepted that you were gay and that you liked men, how did that impact your fathering skills? So the one thing I'm going to tell you, this is a fun story. I had a straight man who was the first person I came out to that wasn't one of my family members. Right. He was a coworker. His name is Barry. My kids still call him Uncle Barry. He walked in my office and he said, he said, Helmut, something's wrong. I get teary-eyed <laughs> talking about this. So something's wrong. I was like, yeah. And he closed all the curtains to my office. And I was his boss and like boss of many, many people. And he was like, you're going to tell me this is a safe space. So this straight dude, right, is like, this is a safe wow. space. And I was like, well, yeah, I'm gay. And for an hour, we sat in that room and talked and I cried. I mean, I was just like, and he was like, almost one of his very first things. He was like, worried about my kids. I was so worried about my children. Because like, hello, you're just gay. It doesn't mean you stop loving your children anymore. Right. And so he goes, he goes, listen, Helmut, we all knew you were gay. Okay. <laughs> no one in this office is surprised that you're gay. In fact, we were all kind of shocked that you were married. But just because you're gay will not change the fact that you're a fantastic father. Aww. And it was just like something about a straight man yeah. being the first person I come up to Aww. with so much love and empathy. And then I just determined at that point, I was like, you know what? I'm going to be a great dad. Mm. I'm not going to let that go. And so, you know, it's interesting because even in the gay fathers groups that I was in, so many people were so overwhelmed with ideas of like, what about me? You know, I need to be free. I need to have my lover. I need to go on parades. And, and I was like, what about our kids? <laughs> like, I was like the one in the group that's like, what about their psychology? I mean, I remember going to a therapist asking how to come out to my kids. Wow. I actually took my ex-wife and we sat down and planned the right words. Oh, that is so smart. Oh my God, I, I wish I had thought of that. Yeah, I just didn't want the right, wrong words. But your kids were older. Mine were so young and I was so scared. Right. You know, that I might damage them with the wrong words. So right. daddy didn't say, dad likes boys. What boys are young, right? Dad oh, yeah. likes men. Oh, And then true. likes them. Well, but does it mean he doesn't like women? No, no, no. Dad wants to date men. Right? So it was really kind So of... how did your girls <laughs> respond to this conversation? Well, <laughs> one of them really didn't have comprehension. One of them was playing with their Barbies and was like, cool. And the seven-year-old was far more like, oh, this explains everything. Oh. And she cried like a little baby. Oh. And it was like she had been carrying all that weight on her. Oh, my. And, um, but it felt good because then the girls all understood early on um yeah it's such a it's such an incredible thing to have children and i think one thing as a gay parent you understand how psychologically challenging life can be for a young person because you are different you know that you're different early so when you're a gay parent what people don't understand in the straight community is that 
you're thinking about the child psychology, or you can, let's be honest, some gay parents are not good parents. Just or like some, some parents are yes, not good Yes, just parents. like some straight people yeah. are good parents. But when you want to be a good parent, you're thinking about that psychology. And I would say I've met straight parents that think that way, right? Mm. That like there's not just the protection of your child physically, right? And, and, and they're going to school and getting the right things, but to also worry about their psychology, yeah. right? And that you're saying the right words. And because you guys know, um, the things that you hear your parents say, they, they stick in there, right? And that's that first level yeah, of they software do. that you get. They and, really um, do. Yeah. There are some potent things that my father said to me that I will never forget. Yeah. And I, I can say that they, in some ways, shaped me. Oh, for sure. There's some things my grandfather said to me that shaped me, really shaped me, and they shouldn't have. Yeah, well, that's the, that is this interesting thing of being a parent. You basically have this opportunity to truly grow flowers from the ground up. And if you take that on, it is such an honor. Mm. It is such an honor to get to grow up the next generation and, and curate those little lives. Okay, so some time, <laughs> how long have you been divorced now? So I've been divorced for over uh, 12 years. 12 years, okay, that's a long time. Yeah. And your girls have grown 12 years since then. Yes, they have. What? Tell me a little bit about what did you do for like vacations and all of that, all of those things and maybe going to events and, yeah. and, and all of that? I, so I got to tell you, I think this is a really weird thing. I, maybe it's not weird. It's just what I saw was that gay men often would keep their lives separated. Like those younger fathers would put their lives over here, mm -hmm. right? I'm the father over here and then I go out to the club or meet guys over here. Right. And I wanted so badly to put those worlds together. So my boyfriend and I, when we lived together... The girls were there and they started, they started to see, oh, this is a couple that loves each other and we can be in that space. We broke up. I was like, well, I'm not going to stop being gay. I'm not going to stop being me. So I got to tell you, like a funny, this is a funny one. Yeah. So Pensacola is a big gay beach weekend. Everyone goes down to Pensacola. Uh, I think it's Memorial Day weekend and they have a big party. I went one time. One time was enough for me. Uh, <laughs> it was ridiculously fun okay yeah. i will not gonna lie um but the same weekend i took my girls to the redneck riviera right Pensacola. right the but the Pensacola other side beach. over the destin beach that area oh that oh yeah, okay? yeah, yeah, yeah 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 where the gays were not and i walked out with my little gay ass speedo right you know the tiny little thing and my girls and we're walking on the beach and of course everyone's looking at us like who is this homosexual right and it was so proud. I was so proud. Here I am mixing these such different things. People look at me and they're confused, right? They see this gay dad walking with his tiny little Speedo and his girls are around. Are they sisters? Are they nieces? Are they, who are these people, oh, yeah. right? And I, in fact, one lady even stopped me and she said, I'm sorry, I just have to ask, are you gay? In front of my, at the time, like 10-year-old, <laughs> right? And I was like, um... Why did you think you could ask that in front of my daughter? And she said, because you're hot. And I was like, that's okay. <laughs> that's a good enough reason. <laughs> that's then. a good reason. Yeah. 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 It's true. Just about all gay men I know are pretty hot. Well, we're not all hot. Well, okay. <laughs> and I think actually, no, you know, that's an issue in our own culture. But you're, you, we are, you, we've, uh, we've exposed you to some of us in the show that are certainly very attractive. Oh, my. Yes. <laughs> 
for sure. Oh but, my God. Um, but we're not all, and that's so important Ooh. to embrace in our, our all of our communities. Have you heard of AHF? AHF is a global nonprofit that provides cutting-edge medicine and advocacy to people everywhere. Regardless of your socioeconomic standing, they provide services that help our communities, such as free STD testing. With your support, 96 cents of every dollar earned at their pharmacy goes towards helping HIV and AIDS medical services everywhere. If you want to find out more, go to ahf.org or hivcare.org today. I did want to say something that's totally side topic that people may be interested in knowing. Oh, do tell. My career. So I worked for those 10 years at GE, and then I did five years at McKesson, and then I did these stints at major, large healthcare software companies, and I was in high-level executive positions trying to figure out how to manage portfolios of $280 million or $100 million of R&D investment. And that was a whole other world in which people are not ready for a gay man to walk in, mm. right? How does a gay man act in a corporate setting? How, I mean, and I was, I'm Mr. Honesty. I'm Mr. I see through the bullshit, right? And I see through the emotion, uh, the emotion intelligence of a woman, but a lot of the teaching of a man in terms mm. of the technology and stuff. And it was fascinating. I had female, mostly female leaders and they were, they were like, let's, it was kind of like roll a dice. Let's throw Helmut in there and see how the men react. See what happens. Right? Yeah. Were they threatened by you? Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Because you could, you could stand in front of someone and I'd basically be like, listen, I look like I'm on your team, but I'm not on your team. Mm. Right. In fact, I'm on the shareholders team, right? I'm, I'm on the CEO's team. And that was true for women. Women, women were also intimidated by that. Because you basically you just don't fit into a box, right? You're just oh, and and because you're gay. Let me let me see if I understand this. Because you're gay, women don't hold the same power over you that they can hold over men who are not gay because there's no sexual tension. Is that true? Yeah, or am I, I, mean, or am I just imagining this? No, no, it's true. There's that aspect, and and I'm not the enemy to either side per se, but right. you could be the enemy because all of a sudden you're like, wait a second he could perceive as much as I can perceive. He can, so women often, I'm making huge generalization here, gays, so don't kill me. But like women often have an ability to nurture networks, right? And communication, and they see political advantage through moving things. It's great true. skill. That's and they true. Can great, but when you're a man and you can do the same thing, now you're, you're an equal in that skill. Mm. Whereas they may rule some men out because they think they can't do that, right? I always found that political side of things to be so challenging and so just mind-boggling that someone would say something to you in a sweet and lovely way and then say something really shitty about you to someone else. And it's like, what? what? It made no sense yeah. to me. But I do, I do hope that in the – so it was hard in some of those jobs, really, really hard because yeah. I didn't fit in. But what I will say is that it's also a sign of the time. So baby boomers didn't feel comfortable being honest. Mm. They weren't taught to talk about sex or talk about their mental health or talk about their shame. It just wasn't safe. Right. And as we get, you know, the younger generations are more comfortable and we know truth is the highest love language. When you have truth, you can really love. And when you have truth, you can really run a business. 
because you have the honest facts, right? We have but, a problem. But don't you have to have a safe space? You do. Because if you don't have a safe space, you're afraid to say what's true for you fear do. of the implications or to fear of the retribution. You do. One of the most amazing things I heard in my MBA program from a professor, he turned to me and he said, wait till the whole class, but for me it was in my head. <laughs> um, he said, um, if you cannot leave a job, you cannot do a job. And the idea was, hmm. if that safe space isn't there, you need to be able to make yourself an ability to leave so you can say what needs to be said because they need to hear it. Hmm. And the good boss will hear it and work with you. And the bad boss will decide it's time for you to go. We'll disregard you. And so you need to always think about that in a job. I think a lot of people stay in mentally bad jobs because they don't have another option. Right. And if you can save that little extra money to just have that option, oh, it's so, so good. So that has nothing to do with being gay at all, does no, it? No, it doesn't. But I will say it's kind of like being gay. If you can't be gay at work, right, find a place where you can be gay. Being mm. honest about who you are is so valuable for your own mental health. Sure. Um, yeah. Oh, no, no doubt, actually. Yeah. I have one last question for you. Okay. Would you say that you are living your very best life so far? <sighs> yes. Why? Yes. Why? Um, because I have led my life authentically. I have fought. I've done my best when I as along the way that I could. Yeah. Um, right now, I am still raising my kids, right? Um, and I'm enjoying them. I have good health. We are doing this show that makes me so proud, even though there are moments that I'm like, what am I doing? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and you're putting your ideas out there. I feel like we're doing something that is honorable. And yeah, I just feel like I keep learning more every day um, in some way. You've been a part of that journey. You've seen me oh. in some moments in the last couple of months that were not easy. True. Where I would maybe not have said that answer that way that right. day. Yeah, um, it's true. But I feel like the gods keep bringing me the right people. And I keep, I keep uh, hope that you know, the next day will be better than the one before. Maybe not that next one. Maybe you'll step back a couple feet and then you'll do better. But I, yeah, I'm enjoying it. Okay. So on a scale of one to 10, 10 being amazing, phenomenal, couldn't ask for anything else. Where is your life now on a scale of one to 10? Oh, that's a hard one. I'm a nine all the time. Yeah. If I'm ever, yes. No, there's a few days. Okay. Very specific days that are 10 days, right? They're very specific. Right. Like, Earlier today, dolls, we were out looking at the sunset. Very oh, simple moment, okay? Very simple moment. That was a 10 moment, mm. right? That was a 10 moment. So there, there are 10 moments. You right. know, when I was dealing with the trash bin earlier, it was like a seven moment, you know? <laughs> so, um, yeah, I would say a nine always because I, I think there's always kind of like some area or aspect where I could improve on myself right. or work better. But... I mean, all in all, I have so much to be thankful for that if I'm really, really candid about it, I'm a nine. I mean, nice. I am a nine. Wow. So. Well, honey, <laughs> so that to a nine. Cheers. Nine is awesome. <laughs> well done. Thank you, honey. <laughs>
open your hearts. It's Transnotions. Hi, girls. Or guys. All of you, actually. Many of us feel like that we can't make any change or impact on our, on our lives or our greater lives or the greater good. It's really hard because we're just one little person, right? Well, I had an experience um, that really changed that viewpoint for me this week. Um, I was setting up an interview for someone. And on Sunday night or Saturday night, they texted me and they said, I have a friend in, in Kiev and I'm trying to get him out. Do you have any ideas? And I, it was late at night and I said, I can't think of anything, but I'll see what I can do. So the next morning while I was lying there in bed, it was the first thing I thought about was what can I do to help? And so believe it or not, because I have a show, the Diane Crow Show, I created press credentials for him. I used his photograph and I made actual press credentials for him. And even if someone were to scan the uh, QR code, it would take them to a website so that it verified that he worked for the Diane Crozier, that he was a journalist. And he was able to have that printed. And you know, the very next day he was walking around with his press credentials on. And there were a couple of guys from uh, World News Reports and they nodded to him as they passed. And one of them turns and says, where is your flak jacket? And he said, I don't, I don't have a flak jacket. And they said, well, go over to our headquarters. We're over at this hotel. See if they can get you one. He went over there and they actually gave him a flak jacket that said press on the front of it. And so he's been trying to get out of the country and he's been able to pass checkpoints all along the way by showing his press credentials. Now, here it is. It's just me in Atlanta, Georgia. How was I able to impact that? You know, sometimes you can really just envision something happening and you can really make it happen. It's astonishing, I know, but it can happen. You are not below anything. You can accomplish anything. And, you know, this whole thing about my show and about being with Helmut and, and doing all this, no one would have imagined, you know, a year ago or two years ago, this could have happened. But it can. And I have always found that if you put it out there to the universe that you just want to help, you just want to be good and do nice things, do the right thing, the universe will do the right thing for you. And every time I do something like that, it just comes around and helps me in ways I could have never imagined. So my trans notion today, boys and girls, men and women, is to don't shortchange yourself. You literally can make a difference. I mean, did you know that you, as a citizen of the United States, have the right to lobby your congressman and senator? You can actually go to Capitol Hill. You can make appointments and you can be in front of your senator or your congressman and have concrete dialogue with them. They pay attention to that because it's part of their constituency. So... Don't let it lie, boys and girls, men and women. Be who you need to be. Enjoy who you are. Own yourself. Own your passion. And freaking do it, because I know that you can. We'll see you next time with Trans Notions. Bye, kids. A dose of Mama Diane. 
All right, Diane. So I know that you, um, first of all, I will say you have been amazing to have in my life these last uh, months that we've gotten to know oh, each other. Thank I you. love your mission. I love your love of self. Um, and I don't even know if you know how much your parenting skills have become a part of the Gailey Dose. I call, I call Diane often my trans mama. So just so you know, those skills are super important. It's because I'm so old. No, you're not old. She's my sis, really, let's be honest. <laughs> um, but I, let's start, Diane, and understand a little bit about your background. Okay. Um, I'm an open book, honey. Ask me anything. So tell me a little bit like where you're from and, um, and your early life. Okay. Um, well, my mother and father were in the Air Force. And my father... My, I, I was born to my mom, of course, and uh, that's how it works. That's how it works. Yeah, <laughs> I've heard that. Um, and my father had to go off to Korea for an unaccompanied tour for a whole year. And when he was returning, my mom had another bun in the oven, and you know, the numbers don't quite add up. Yeah. So he filed for divorce and filed for custody of me. Which was unusual back in 1958. Wow. 58, 59, yeah, because. Right? It it was always that the mother got the children, unless they were, you know, axe murderers or something. And, um, but my father did get custody of me, but because he he was a man, he had to work every day. And so I got handed off to babysitters and grandparents and and on and on. And my father. Where were you? Where were you? Well, um, I was born in Rantoul, Illinois, okay. at Chanute Air Force Base. Okay. But I don't remember because I was just a yeah. tiny nothing, right? And then we were in Kentucky, I think. Yeah, it was Kentucky. And um, my father found someone else, uh, Connie, uh, who when she met me, I was three years old. And she just told me the other day, and I didn't even really know this, that at three... No one could understand what I was saying. My, I, I just it was just garble, and I wasn't potty trained, and which was odd at that age. You know, you should have been, but because I really didn't have a mom, I just didn't have that access in my life to that. Uh, and so, Connie, she you know came my mom, and she still is my mom. Oh. It is. It's very sweet. My mom is more lovely than you can imagine. Um, and she's a lot of other other trans sisters' moms too, from what I understand. She is. I'll share that story yeah, with you yeah, when yeah. we get to like later in life for me. Because <laughs> girls, I am sixty three years old, and when I tell people that, I know when I tell people that, they say you are not. And I say, well, honey. This is what 63 looks like. It's not so bad, is it? <laughs> it's not at all. No, it's incredible. It's, it's wonderful. Incredible. So anyway, um, my mom, Connie, uh, had a son of her own, Stephen, who was a few months younger than me. And um, because we were in the Air Force, my father's in the Air Force, we moved all over the place. And, um, but our one coalescing location was Dothan, Alabama, because that's where my mom's grandparents lived. Okay. And that's where she was raised. All right. On 1210 South Bell Street, if any of you girls know where that is. Um, She's an Alabama girl. An Alabama girl, yeah. Um, and so, you know, life was good. I didn't 
Well, okay, you asked me not, the next question. Yeah, so not where you. So I'm curious, just with obviously, I know from our conversations previously that you 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 begin your trans identity journey later, but in your adolescence and and in these years as you go to college, is there any sign of your being trans identifying? Well, or even just interest in women's clothing and scents. That's exactly right. I love the feeling of my mom's fabrics, how soft they were and how they flowed and moved. I love that. And I loved looking at her magazines because I could see the colors of the clothes and the designs of the clothes and the shoes. Oh my God, the shoes were amazing. And if you go into the catalogs, like the Sears and Roebuck catalog, which was a thing that we got yeah. all the time, you know, you, you go through the women's stuff and it's like, wow, beautiful, interesting things. And you get to the man's stuff and it's like, Bleh. So when did you first put on women's garb? You know, okay, so this is a little embarrassing to admit, and I've never actually admitted it to anybody, actually. Where, where we lived, um, people threw their garbage in sinkholes because we lived in Florida at the time. And uh, I loved to go through the garbage. I just thought it was fun, you know, to see other people's stuff. And I would find pantyhose and it sounds awful, but I would try them on. Why is that awful? Well, because, you know, they're used, they're gross, you know, oh. and it's, there's that, you know. But when I was a kid, I used to go out into the alfalfa fields and just take off all of my clothes and lie down in the alfalfa and just watch the clouds roll by. And it felt so freeing and so lovely. Now, you said another transistor did similar, right? Yes, I heard that from another right, transistor. I couldn't right. believe it. So there's this interesting aspect of texture, this interesting aspect of feeling feminine or something. So you tried on these pantyhose. What's the next time you try on some clothes? Wow. Oh, that's a good question. I mean, mm. not exact, but ish, you know? I'm not exactly sure. I don't remember exactly. Um, but I can tell you this. My mom told me just the other day that they had no clue. Okay. None. That I was nothing more than just a usual boy. But I didn't, we didn't talk about gender at all. You're either a boy or a girl. That's the way of it course, was. And, yeah. And I was the oldest of three, of four children. So, um, but I, I can tell you this, that animals always loved me and they did not like my brothers. <laughs> it's true. Um, I used to be able to walk out into a field of Brahma cows and bulls. And just walk amongst them and they didn't give pay me any mind or I'd hop on, on top of them and I'd reach up and grab the grapefruits and I'd throw it down for them and they would love those. Yeah. But the bulls never bothered me, ever. Interesting. Ever. And I rarely ever met an animal that wasn't sweet to me. So how did you get to schooling and then marriage? Like tell me what happened there. Wow, that's a broad that's a broad thing. It is because you kind of grow up out in the world and then yeah, meet someone, right? Yeah, I, I didn't I just didn't understand. Um there were a lot of girls that wanted to be my friend. I was in the friend zone plenty of times. And I just didn't understand. I said, "Well, why don't you want to, you know, date me or anything?" And they said, "Well, you're really you're really sweet, but I'm just not, you know, into you or whatever." And I'm like, "I just didn't get it." Um and Again, we didn't talk about gender at all. And uh, I remember the jocks used to just tease me mercilessly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, they were cruel and mean. I'm sorry. Well, thank you. Were you, um, would you be described as a sweet young man? Yeah, I think so. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, never. You are very sensitive. You're very caring. You're oh, very yeah. thoughtful. I can see that about you. But I was never are. swishy, you yeah. know. She didn't swish and I sashay. Wasn't, I didn't sashay. <laughs> I was just a regular kind of boy. But I hated injustice more than anything. Injustice mm. just used to drive me nuts. Um, I remember one time I was sitting at lunch with my friends and we were eating lunch and up came this guy who's a bully, he's a known bully. And he, hate those. he loved to pick on people and he had his, like his bully buddies with him and he shoved me in the shoulder and my friend says, oh, don't, do it. don't do anything. Don't do anything. I said, well, I said, okay. And he shoved me again. And I said to myself, if he does that one more time, that's it. That's it. I'm, I, don't, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm not going to take that anymore. So he shoved me one more time, and I got up, and I started beating the living shit out of him. Ooh. I just pounded him around the cafeteria, Ooh. and <laughs> he was just shell-shocked, actually. Oh. And I just laid loose on him. And the principal called me to his office. And I told him exactly what happened, exactly like I described mm -hmm. to you. And he said, okay, you can go back to class now. I, there was no punishment for me wow. whatsoever. Wow. Right? Because I was cool. genuine. I was honest with him. I told him this is what happened. I just wasn't going to put up with it. And he said, well, okay, you can go back to class. So I never got punished for it. Yeah. Um, but so, I always said I would never be mean to other people, ever. There's just no reason to be mean to other people. It's just awful. And so I had this deep sense of uh, internal justice, and, um, and I was just compelled by that. So how did you then develop into getting married? I mean, how did you, got, oh, you, get, you married her? Wow. How, how old were you? Where were you? So I was 22 years old. Such a baby. I was a oh. baby. And I, was, uh, I had joined the Mormon church. Oh, that's right. That's I had right. joined the Mormon church. And yeah. as a Mormon, that's what you do. You get married. And you weren't Mormon before that. You chose into Mormonism. Yeah, uh, the, yeah I did. And um, Well, they like to have babies. And you had five. <laughs> I had five children, yeah. But what I came to discover later in life is that I gave no thought as to how the other person treated me at all. I just, it was enough for me to be wanted. It was enough. I was like, okay. I'm wanted. This is good. And I, you know, as I think back on it, I think it has to do with, you know, my earliest childhood that it was like nobody wanted me. Mm -hmm. And then if somebody wanted me, that was enough. And with all the teasing too, you probably, you were different somehow. Yeah. And maybe these other girls didn't like you because maybe they sensed some aspect of this sweetness or whatever it is. Yeah. And you finally found someone who, who liked you. So I have to tell you this story. My brother super, super smart, genius, actually. I mean, he never studied for tests. He always aced them. He started college when he was 15 years old. He couldn't even drive yet. He skipped two grades of school, Wow, you know, to go to college. And I always struggled in school because I, turns out, this is long before anybody knew about this, I, I was ADD in a severe way. I wasn't hyper, but I was really, and I had um, dyslexia, still do. So that when it came to math, I could not get the questions right. So I always failed the test. But I generally understood the concepts. Well, my every summer we would spend the summer with my grandfather and my grandmother in Dothan, Alabama. And one day, I'll never forget, and I don't remember exactly how old I was, but it was certainly enough to be impressionable. My grandfather said, 
Hey, Dwayne, that was my name. Come over here. He's reading the newspaper. And he says, what is this word? And I said, Grandfather, I don't, I don't know what that word is. Hmm. Stephen, come here. What is this word? That's astronaut, Granddad. That's right, Stephen. And so he said, let me see your hands. And so he took Stephen's hands and he held them and he said, you have long, slender fingers. You're going to be a doctor. Let me see your hands, Dwayne. You have little fat fingers. You're going to be a mechanic. Oh! Now talk about sealing things in. Those are such pivotal things that can be so damaging to someone. My brother thought he was going to be a doctor, and he thought that's what he wanted to be. And he, you know, he started college way too early, and he ended up going to mortician school uh, for two years, and he did that for quite some time. Still super smart. Um, and then me, I was like, oh, I guess I'm going to be a mechanic, you know? Yeah. And my father was a very practical man. He said, listen, if you, if you go to school, you're, you go to college, you're on your own. Whatever you do, it's on your own. Well, okay. So I, I joined the army. Yes, you did. I did. And at first I sucked at it because I was in this biomedical engineering program. And by definition, they kick out 75% of everybody that's in it. But I figured out that I didn't know how to study because I was so, if I got, if I got C's, my parents were like, oh, that's fine. That's all we could expect from poor little mechanic Dwayne. Because of your ADD also. Because of my ADD. Yeah. I remember my mother trying to teach me the alphabet and just completely flabbergasted that I couldn't get past a certain mm -hmm. batch of it, you know? Well, anyway, um, I actually created my own way of counting where I took all the numbers and I, I just counted the intersections where the numbers went across each other. And I was able to add very quickly that way. And I have since found out that they have actually developed a method that is exactly like that for kids who are exactly like me. Wow. So I was like, hey, I might be pretty smart. So when I was in the Army <laughs> and going to this program, if you, you had one chance to go back into the cycle, if you failed that chance, they were going to make you a ground pounder or an infantryman. And I did not want to do that. So I found a, a, an instructor who's very smart. I liked him a lot. He's a great guy. But he was also, every night at the officer's club, drinking like crazy. So I would go to his place at the officer's club, and I would buy him drinks, and he would teach me stuff. And as soon as I started to get into the cycle of it, since then, I have never been less than first or second in my class ever for anything. So I was actually a whole lot smarter than anybody thought I was. I fixed x-ray machines and CAT scanners and nuclear cameras for 27 years. I worked for GE for years, many years. Yeah. I was the director of clinical engineering at one of the major hospitals here in town. And wow. so, yeah, so I was actually pretty freaking smart. I just didn't think that I was, so I never really invested in myself to be that. It's so interesting just thinking a little bit like, you have these young voices, these voices that come in and tell you, you're not this, mm. you're not this, yeah, right? And then you sort of allow the life to be and you figured out a way to be exactly what they said you wouldn't be. 
Well, <laughs> that's great for some of us, but some of us never get past that. I know. I know. So that is an achievement that you've certainly made. Yeah. Now, then you took your career and went from... Oh, uh-huh. yeah. I made a big change. Oh, wait, wait, wait. wait. Hold oh. I got to ask one question there. Okay. You have these kids in that time period. Right. Were your kids like, did you fall into the classical model where like, mom takes care of babies, I go out? Like, were they very strict roles? Um, um, well, oh my gosh. Okay, so when you are... Oh, what's the word? Uh, sensitive, I guess, or yeah. or tender, and you just accept what anyone gives you. The little crumbs you get, you're happy with. And so, if someone's interested in you, that's enough. You don't give any thought to how is this person treating me. You just don't. Or at least I didn't. Right. And so, I married someone who was quite a narcissist. And um, wow. It was awful because she wouldn't really clean up or take care of the kids, really. And I'd be off working and doing my thing. And I'd come home and I'd end up washing dishes and, you know, washing clothes and stuff. And, and I didn't mind because I figured, you know, this is all part of a relationship. Right. That's what you do. You help, you know. So you were a, a significant servant in your home. I was a and I mean, super servant. For those children oh. as well. Oh, for sure. Oh. For sure. That is, um, that's a blessing to them. For you yeah. to have served them that way is well, quite thank you for beautiful. saying that. Well, it is. Hmm. Um, not, you know, a lot of parents don't do that for their children. Yeah. You know, you have to celebrate those things that you did do. That speaks to your character. Yeah. Um, so then you, so you're having these children. You're working very, very hard. Oh, yeah. You decide to change careers. Completely. I, I did decide to change careers. Um, I, I had a couple of stops along the way. I was having this sort of midlife crisis kind of thing. And um, I, I had divorced my first wife. And I was managing pizza restaurants. I decided I wanted to get into stand-up comedy. Because I thought, well, maybe I can, you know. And so in order to get my, my stage presence skills up, I don't think you know this about me. I would deliver singing telegrams for monkey business singing telegrams. I was a, basically a stripper on Friday and Saturday nights. And I made a boatload of money doing that. Oh, my gosh. This Did you hilarious. know that? Did I ever tell you that? Uh, uh, you alluded to it. I didn't know you were a stripper. I think this is hilarious. You're like military, um, biomedical engineer, electrical engineer, um, camera um, c comedian. I mean, bitch, well, you could do it all. That's amazing. I, I took some <laughs> classes on comedy and on improv and I, <laughs> I, for two years traveled the Southeast, you know, performing in clubs. And my big crowning achievement was opening for Gallagher for a week. He was the guy who had the sledgematic with the watermelons that exploded. Yeah, and stuff. Yeah. And uh, he was a very, very nice guy. But what I did find is that so many of my comedian friends we're turning into alcoholics. Yeah. Because yeah. when you're, you know, out in butt like nowhere, there's nothing to do but see what's on TV, you know, and it's like, oh, that sucks. Oh, that sucks. Oh, that's, I mean, it's just a constant thing. Yeah. And when you get to the club, they let you drink as much as you want because they think you're going to be looser and funnier. And you just drink a lot. And then my next wife had met me and she wanted me, right? Um, and so that was enough. And so I left comedy and went back into engineering. So did you, um, I am curious about the trans experience with this. Is there any point in these marriages 
or with the children? Is there any point in there where you're doing something ex like ever putting on women's clothes or ever? Okay. Yep. Okay. Oh yeah. So is that, is that something that happened during the first marriage? Yeah. Okay. And yeah. is this something that was like a secret, shameful? Totally. Sort of, okay. Totally. And what would you do? Just like go, like, would you go to her closet or buy other things and you just put them on secretly? And Yeah. I mean, if she was gone, if my wife was gone, I'd, I'd look through her closet and go, hmm. And I'd try it on. I, would, I look better in this than she does. Honestly. Wow. I would, I would go, wow, this looks good. And then I would feel so shameful about it. And, and, and swear to myself, oh, I am never going to do that again. I am, ooh, no, bad, 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 bad. You know, remember I was a Mormon at the time back in those days. And even after that, once I, I left Mormonism, you know, I would, I would try on my wife's clothes, my second wife. And um, I thought, man, I look good in these. <laughs> this feels good. Oh, I love this. And then racked with shame, I would yeah. say, I swear I'm never going to do this again. And I bet you then you felt shame and then you go back to it again. Enjoy it. Shame. Were you, yeah. were you, did you become Jewish? I thought you, no. I never okay. actually became Jewish. My, okay. my, um, my second wife was Jewish and we agreed to raise the children Jewish. And so um, I agreed that we wouldn't celebrate Christmas, that the girls would be raised Jewish, which they were. And, um, and for 27 years, that was my, basically my religion of choice was Judaism. Yeah. So in, in all of this, I know, I know that you came out in the pandemic we've talked about on the podcast before. I'm curious, um, I'm curious what you would say were the things that led you to that point. Oh, well, that's pretty easy, actually. Because you went from the shame cycle to then this. Okay. So I, being ADD, I, I, I have a awful relationship with time and with organization. It's just the worst. It's true. Oh, it's, it's <laughs> awful. It's awful, but it's really a genuine thing. I mean, I just don't, time is a construct I don't exactly get, and it doesn't really come naturally to me. So if you were in my house, you'd see clocks everywhere. Every wall, there's a clock, and it's a constant struggle for me to yeah. remain on track. Anyway, um, I had been going, I went to a therapist. And I told my therapist when I'll never forget the first day I went there, I told my therapist, I said, I just want you to hypnotize me so I'll be more organized. That's all. That's, <laughs> it's driving my wife crazy. I really want to be more organized. So can, can you do that for me? And she was thoughtful enough to go, you know, maybe, but let's, let's talk some more. And over time, I discovered, discovered things about myself. She never ever suggested anything or, uh -huh. or, or, or anything like that. Um, but I discovered things about myself and I began to be more honest with myself and be start to discover who I was inside. Yeah. And, um, wow. I'm, she's still my therapist every week on Thursdays at one o'clock. That is where I will be is in front of her. And in that process that process of like self-discovery with her is that where you eventually get to acceptance of the clothes sort of the, sort of okay. here's what happened so as a commercial photographer and videographer um, I had an opportunity to do a pro bono job for an LGBTQ group here in Atlanta yeah and they were honoring Bex Taylor Klaus who's an actress she's non-binary and as soon as I heard about it, I was like I volunteer I want to do it 
I photographed her bat mitzvah and all of her families and on and on and on in this big circle. And so I went to this um, Purim off Ponce is what it's called. And I had no idea what to expect, but I was wearing my ubiquitous black shirt, black pants, black shoes, you know, the photographer's garb. And I walked in there and everyone was just like, they had such great costumes on. They were vibrant. so vibrant. Yes, vibrant. And I met my very first trans woman and she was dressed as Marilyn Monroe. And she was so open and so honest and so genuine. And I looked at her and I said, you are beautiful. And I really meant it. Yes. As a photographer, I learned to never, um, just to never tell somebody a disingenuous compliment. I just wouldn't do it. But I meant that. I meant all my comments I have ever given. And so I realized that I was like the, the deep, dark, sucking hole of sad depression in this room. and um, In black. In black. And I said, you know what? If I get asked to do this again, I'm going to do something different. I don't know what it is, but I am going to do something different. So the very next, uh, this is in here in March, January, yeah. February. Yeah, it was in March of 2019. In October of 2019, I was asked to do it again for for Kenny Blank, who's being honored. He's the son of Arthur Blank, and I said, "Well, yes, I'm going to do it." And I'm thinking, "Oh my God!" And I'd been thinking all along, okay. all throughout the year, "What am I going to do? What am I going to do?" And so I said, "I am going to go in femme." Okay. And I told my wife that, and she says, you're going to go as a transvestite or as a, as a um, uh, um, woman, a drag queen? Yeah. I said, no, no, I, I'm not going to go as a drag queen. I don't want to insult anyone or I just want to, you know, I just want to go feminine. I think that would be a lot of fun. She kind of did not like that, to be honest with you. Um, but she, um, anyway, I don't want to talk about that anymore. However, I did go in femme that night and i i was no good at putting on makeup i right. looked like a clown when i put on makeup it was awful so i went to sephora and they did my face and i went to this thing and i swear i have never felt so um so loved and so um so appreciated and it was just so reaffirming and reassuring and so lovely i mean there were men who I knew who came up to me and said, you look amazing. And there were lesbian sisters who came up to me and said, I would date you in a second. And as a man, you don't get compliments. It just doesn't happen. And to feel that and to feel that confidence and feel that, it was wonderful. It was really self-affirming. And it was really good, super good for me. Yeah. And as I started to explore that, I was like, Wow, it's like an epiphany. Hmm. And so little by little, I began to accept that I have always been a woman. I was just born in the wrong body. And I'm okay with that. And it's beautiful. I think it's amazing that you had such a shame-filled experience with dressing. In, oh. in the, in the, and I know I've heard you speak before about you know, th these others that you see that suffer, that you get to help them out of their trans closet. Oh, yeah. But then you get to go dress up in this very public event and get all this affirmation. It was awesome. I mean, it is wonderful. So I'm going to ask you the same question you asked me. What's that? Which is now, as you look at your life, are you living your best life I, so far? Honey, I am living my best life so far. 
I really am. Truly, truly, truly. I'll tell you a little story. When I, when I moved um, from my house of 27 years and moved into my new place, one morning I got up and I went out on the deck and I did my yoga and I did some meditation. And I walked back in the house and I saw it laid out the way I wanted it to be. And then it was those were decisions that I made. And I just started to weep. I mean, really weep. I, I wept for an hour mm -hmm. because I recognized that I was living who I was meant to be. And it was fantastic. And after that, I went, uh, I had like a yo actual yoga thing and I had a, uh, a, a session with my therapist. It happened to be a Thursday. And then I went and I got my nails did, done in acrylic. And I said, this is it. This is the last time I'm going to dress as a man. And because there was, I mean, it would take a nuclear blast to get those nails off. Yeah. And it was, it was really something. But at that moment, and it's been almost exactly a year since then, and I've been 100% trans since then. And honestly, all of my clients, my family, my friends, except for a few small portions, have accepted me a thousand percent. Well, I will say, Diane, I think that um, you got a moment there on the porch that a lot of people don't get to have, where you sort of have let go of so much after the yoke of all the marriages and the children. And um, it, I can only tell you, it's so wonderful that you've taken that energy and also shared it with so many people with the Diane Crow Show and mm. on the Gaily Dose. Um, I'm going to ask you the scale question. Oh, so, okay. Scale one to ten. Yeah. Um, how happy? Oh, how, how happy? Was, that, was it? Was it? How happy? Was that the question? Right. No. On a scale from one to ten, are you living your very best life? There we go. There's the question. Well, and, how, and where are you on that? I'd say I'm about mm, seven to a seven and a half. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, That's I'd good. Say that. Well, you know what? You have. But the next part of that question is, what would you do to make it a ten? And. Um. Well, I would be. More financially secure. Okay. Uh, and that's going to happen. Yes. Um, and with the help of our listeners and viewers, it's going to happen too. Ooh. Ooh, that's a challenge. I, I want a boob job. Okay, I'm just putting it I knew you were going to say the boobs. <laughs> I totally want, I want these, my friends, are Amazon bought. I can send you the link to them. And for $36, <laughs> you can have a pair of breasts of your very own. Um. And I like them, okay, but I really want my own breasts. Yeah, I really do. That's fair. Um, and and actually, I'm going to start hormone therapy replacement hormone replacement therapy in about a month, and I'm very excited about that. I really am. I am too. When we talked to Avery on one of our first episodes in the Gaily Dose, she spoke wonders about how it just made her feel better, and ultimately, mm. she was very pleased with it. And I can't wait to see that for you. I, listen, I I have always been able to cry at the drop of a hat happy tears sad tears it didn't matter I, I could be in a movie and I just I would just start to cry and weep and it was all I could do to hide that you know it was hard um, and now I, I'm sure once I go on hormones I'll just walk outside and catch the sight of some concrete and just start weeping well we you know? will see because I, maybe but who, knows? who knows we are gonna follow you in that journey oh, though okay. on this show I can't wait to explore that with you and our Thank and you. our dolls Thank you so much for giving oh, us a piece of thank you. Thank you, honey. Yeah. I love you. I love the 
I have to tell you, I love what the Gailey Dose has done for my life. Um, you never know what's going to happen in your life. And when you put things out there that you want to do things and you, you, you open yourself up to greater things and broader things, the universe has a very mysterious way of reaching out to you. And you just start connecting with people over and over and over again. And I'll, and I'll share this that in my little segment called, um, um, what do we call it? Transnotion. Thank you. Transnotions. I have something really fun to share with you about that. So, honey, life is good, and I am living my very best life so far. Well, we are glad Without you a are. doubt. Cheers. Thank you, hon. Oh. Dolls everywhere unite. It's the call to Kiki. All right, dolls. So we're going to wrap this up with a nice, cute call to Kiki. Diane, would you do us a favor? Um, sh- uh, sure. What does is, what is call to Kiki mean? Oh, okay. Okay. So dolls, remember, call to Kiki is when we ask you, our listeners, to connect with your other dolls. One of the important principles in, in mental health good practice is connection with our families. Oh. And in our queer world and in many people's worlds, even in the straight world, it's hard to always go to your family for the mental health support you need. Okay. So it is our call to connect with your other dolls. Okay. I think I understand. All right. Okay. So our call to Kiki is ringing. Ring. <laughs> hey. Oh, call to Kiki? Sure. So really what that means and what we want you to do is connect with your friends, especially in this time of COVID or past COVID. You've come to know some people, but you haven't really gotten to know them. We, Helmut and I, say it would be great if you really get to know that person on a deeper level. I know sometimes it's easy to keep your friends kind of at a distance, but real connections, real deep friendship connections are built on these moments of genuine honesty. So our encouragement, don't you say, wouldn't you yes, say? Yes, absolutely. Is, is get with your friends and have a deep, deep dive, just like Helmut and I did today. It was really fun. I learned things about you. Did you learn things about me? I certainly did. Did you really? I did. Ooh. Many. Do I need to be embarrassed? No, not at all. Yes. <laughs> yes. And you're right. You're absolutely right. We, um, we can connect to that next level. And it's a beautiful thing. Oh. Yeah. And I would say, dolls, that is part of what we're doing with Hughes of Humanity. We're asking you to take a double click into people that are different than you, that present differently, whether it's because I'm gay or trans or non-binary, and give give that extra look in to understand other people that are part of the human fabric. You're here, honey. Right? Cheers. That calls for cheers. It well does. done. Well said. And we remind you, dolls, remember to love yourself. Learn to love yourself. Learn to love other people from that self and always smile. Yay! Bye, kids. Thanks for tuning in, doll. Email us at feedback at thegailydose.com your thoughts on this episode or DM us on any of our social media platforms at The Gailey Dose Pod. Remember, we'd love to hear from you on Dr. Dose, 323-673-1474. Thanks, loves. <laughs>